guys, to the Overtime Show. Uh, I'm joined this week again by Joe, myself, uh, Mitchell, who's away on a fire drill. Um, we have a very special guest in Sky Sports NFL analyst, Jeff Reinbold. Welcome to the show, Jeff. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm good. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, this week, guys, we're going to be chatting through the NFL playoff picture, as well as looking at the situation with Tua Tagovailoa in Miami, and also talking about the decision to yank Jalen Hurts last night in the fourth quarter of the Philadelphia Eagles game. What does that mean for Doug Peterson and for the Philadelphia Eagles? So we'll start off with the first game of the uh, playoff weekend, which is in the AFC. They'll see us head over to Indianapolis. Or Indianapolis Colts will take on the Buffalo Bills. Um, Buffalo Bills at home in that one. Uh, Jeff, is there any potential upset here, or are we likely just to see the Bills go ahead and, and roll on with what they've been doing? Well, it's football, and, you know, as they say, on any given Sunday. But um, right now, the Bills are playing probably better football than anybody in the National Football League. And <clears throat> they believe, you know, really strongly in each other that, that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have done an amazing job of building a culture there. Uh, they replaced all but two players in the three years they've been there. Uh Jerry Hughes, the rush end that they have is, is a holdover from the previous regime. And I think there's one of the tight ends, I think, too. But other than that, they're all new guys. And, you know, he's he's done a great job of putting his stamp on that thing. Josh Allen has developed under Brian Dable. Uh, you know, they brought in some really, really talented receivers. Obviously, uh, Stephon Diggs and, and uh, is an amazing player. Smoke Brown is a great player. Cole Beasley's you know, almost on, you know, I don't know how you cover him in the slot. I really don't, you know, if you, especially if you don't play man, he, he chews people up, you know, so they got two good running backs. The offensive line has gotten better defensively. Leslie Frazier has done an outstanding job. They went out and got some, you know, some guys like Jordan Poyer and, you know, Micah Hyde and guys that, you know, that had an understanding of what, you know, they wanted to get done in Buffalo and uh, had some, you know, ties to the organization in terms of Bean and, and McDermott. You know, they, Matt Milano, their weak side inside backer, is maybe as good a coverage backer as there is in the National Football League. And a lot of people don't know about him because he plays in Buffalo, but he's in his contract here and he's going to be a rich man come, uh, come springtime because he is really, really a good football player. Yeah, he, he put up an unbelievable performance against the Patriots on Monday Night Football last week. In terms of the, the Bills, do they maybe remind you of the Chiefs last year? The offense can put up points very quickly. They're, they're very high octane, very explosive. But the real question comes to the defense is that whether or not that's going to be their Achilles heel going into the playoffs. Well, I think I think when you look at the two teams, you know, and you, weigh, you start weighing teams in the playoffs, you talk about the three phases of the game and are they complete teams. There's not a team that doesn't have some ward on it. I mean, there's no super team, you know. But I think the Bills and the Chiefs are as close as there is to, you know, a team that functions at a high level all the time in all three phases. Their kicking game is outstanding. The punt return against Miami the other day was the thing that really blew, blew that game open. Their punter is really good. Uh, it, Buffalo is a hard place to kick because of the wind, and they've got a guy that can handle the wind. Um, their coverage teams are outstanding. They're just a they're just a really really good football team, and you know people because they're so proficient and so you know so good on offense. I think people kind of think well the defense is the weak spot, but I'm telling you what, you saw that defense yesterday. They they are they've got playmakers at every level and. The only place I'd say that, you know, and they're a little bit like Kansas City this way, they're, they can tend to be a little bit soft in the middle of the defense against teams that are physical. Yeah, and this Colts team, if you're going to say anything about them, they are physical. Like They have got one of the best offensive lines in football, and they're going to run the, the – with Jonathan Taylor, they're going to run the ball at you. you know, And it's not going to be a case of – maybe the first 10 attempts, they don't get what they need. They're going to keep doing it over and over and over again. And, you know, just in case of just to keep you honest, keep them playing the run. Do you think we can expect anything from the Colts uh, in this one? Or, or is this pretty much a formality that the Bills probably... Well, I, I think I think, the, I think Indianapolis going in and fight. You know, Matt Eberflus has got a really good defense. Um, you know, their, their line, 
Leonard and that crew of linebackers can all run. Uh, you know, DeForest Buckner is a, you know, he's a first round draft choice. He's a disruptive inside player. They got Justin Houston on the outside that can pass rush. Uh, their secondary worries me a little bit. You know, they, they got chewed up in that, uh, in the second half of that Pittsburgh game, and they were trying to play a lot of single coverage outside, which I didn't really understand. But, you know, Rocky Asin is a, is a, you know, a holding penalty waiting to happen every time he's in coverage. And that's been a, that's been a problem. So I think that's an area where there's a, there's a big, uh, you know, if there's a big advantage to Buffalo, it's in the matchups of how their secondary is going to handle all the, you know, this is so crazy. We're talking this way, Jeremy, because Buffalo, the original Buffalo blueprint was play defense, run the ball. Like most every head defensive head coaches, you know, mantra is, but they have now gotten into more four and five receiver sets, more detached formations, more empty than anybody in football. And so this is a, this is a really, really tough animal to, to defend, especially yeah. when you've got Josh Allen back there throwing the football. Yeah, I feel like this year they really handed the keys of the car over to Josh Allen. And when you look at like the great quarterback coaching relationships, a lot of them are, you know, the, the head coach does tend to be a bit more defensive. So like Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, Brady Belichick, it's a little bit more of just, you, you know, head coach can focus a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball because he trusts this guy on our center. And Josh Allen really has taken a step forward this year and not being able to read the defense, being able to change the plays at the line of scrimmage and just being a bit more independent take a lot more responsibility i think the colt's biggest weakness going to this one is just philip rivers i just don't see enough x factor from him this year just and with those lack of dynamic playmakers on the outside for the colts against that secondary i i think the colts will have to have a phenomenal day rushing the ball and playing great defense if they're going to go up there and and cause an upset so i'd be surprised if they went up there and beat the bills well, I, I tell you what, it's a, it's a great storyline. You know, Frank Reich was a backup quarterback to Jim Kelly in his playing days and was the architect of that incredible second half against Houston where they were down, I think, 30 points, and he brought them back and won the football game. So, you know, it, it, it'll be personal for Frank, too, and I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a great football game. Yeah. Uh, Joe, we're going to swing over your way because uh, this will interest you with your Packers. Um, the Rams take on my Seahawks. In the second game on Saturday, uh, what way do you see that one going? Well, I mean, I have contempt for the Seahawks. Uh, I'm, I'm not, a, not a huge fan of the football team, but I mean, my, my roommate is a huge Rams fan, so he's going to be rooting for the Rams. Um, the Rams, I just feel a very, I don't know. I feel like they have so much potential, but they just can never, never quite mold it into what they want. And the Seahawks, I think, on, on any given day, uh, uh, probably the, the better team going into this matchup. So I've probably got the Seahawks winning this. Uh, how far they're going to go this this season, this postseason, I'm not quite sure. But um, I think this is this might be the end of the road for the Rams, personally. Yeah. I think when we acquired um, Carlos Dalnap and Jamal Adams came back, that pass rush really heated up. And since the, those two have come together, our scoring defense is one of the top five in the NFL. Like, it really has improved. The only problem is, is I look at who we played. Washington doesn't have a great offense. The Jets are very anemic. It's it's a case of just, I think we've got a good a good portion of the season that we played well, but it's against bad teams. So it's hard to know what you've been doing. And then against the Rams last week, obviously playing against Goff after he dislocated his thumb. It's, it's going to be interesting because I always think the one team you don't want to play in the playoffs is a divisional opponent because they know you like the back of your hand. Yes, you might know what they're going to do, but if Wolford's on our center, like there's very little tape on him in the NFL, so he's a little bit of an unknown quantity. Um, I would like to think we'll beat them anyway, but they've got that many weapons on offense with Cooper Cup, uh, yeah. with Robert Woods, the two tight ends. Higby yesterday had a really good day. Their defense can get after you, and our offensive line at times could be porous. I, I'd expect to beat them, but I think it's going to be very, very tight. I think a one-score game probably is something like 21-16. I would say something around like that. But then... Well, um, Jeff, something I'd like to ask you about. So last week, uh, for our last episode, we were talking about the MVP race. Mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about that we think that maybe the whole thought of, of the MP, MVP trophy might have got into Russell's head. Uh, and that's why maybe he's not playing as well this season as he might hope. 
How do you how do you think maybe the MVP race might have affected Russell Wilson this season? Well, I don't, you know, I don't know. If my, um, I, I will just say this. Uh, one of my ex-players is, uh, is a director of player development for Seattle. And he and I have talked about Russell Wilson a great deal. And I don't think that's in his makeup that, that the pressure of the MVP race or wanting to win an MVP or I, I, he, I think he's way too focused for that. And I think you saw that the other day in the game in the fourth quarter, when he has to make that throw at the end of the game. I mean, he is so locked in and dialed in all the time. I just think he got in a situation where when they couldn't run the football, if you get one dimensional in the national football league, it's really hard. I mean, it is really hard because they're going to stack the deck against you. And, you know, when you go back and look at these two teams and the games that they've played, it has been an incredible chess match between the coaches because in the first game uh, that I broke down the Rams, I mean, they had Seattle. I mean, it was unbelievable. What a great job that Brandon Staley did dialing up pressures, giving Russell a billion different looks you know, they move, you know, they move Ramsey around. Sometimes he'd take DK, sometimes he wouldn't. You know, I mean, they, there were just so much going on. And there's one play, and I diagrammed. I'm going to actually put it out on Twitter, I think. I diagrammed it where they brought a blitz. And if you were the Seattle tackle, you had no choice. I mean, you had no chance because no matter what you did was the wrong thing. And it was a great coaching job. Then the last time they played, I thought Pete and – uh, Kenny Norton, who's been under fire all year, I thought they did an amazing job of using their personnel because they went into, and I showed it on the broadcast, they went into a front that they hardly ever play in Seattle. And it's, you know, it's the old Chicago Bears 46. And, you know, they kicked the front down and then, you know, and, and they, the, the thing that was really, I thought really good about it was as soon as the Rams went to their three tight end stuff, because they love all those tight ends, they they went jumped into that defense and they and they brought uh, they brought KJ right down on the edge and they kicked the front back away and they played you can't get to the linebackers you can't block any you can't block them all so then they made the Rams one dimensional and golf couldn't golf's not big in my opinion he struggles to beat you when he doesn't have the running game going with it so th so then. McVeigh's immediate answer was, okay, get the tight ends off the field, go back to 11 personnel, one tight end and three wide receivers. And so then Pete and, uh, and Kenny still got in the front, but they did it a really unique way. They brought in the nickel, took out KJ Wright, and then they used, the, they used Adams as the nickel backer inside the box because he's such a good tackler. That's actually where he's best is when he's down low around the box. And, you know, as soon as they took the runaway, it was, I mean, I know he busted his thumb, but that game was over before he busted his thumb because they were just pounding Los Angeles. So it's yeah. going to be interesting to see how these, how these two coaches handle this week. The, 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 the eight ball in this whole deal is Wolford. Because if you, if you, I don't, I saw this today, guys, think about this in the history of college or history of NFL football. No quarterback has ever thrown for 200 and rushed for over 50 in his debut. Nobody, right, except John Walford. And when, he, when you remember back to that Seattle game, there were numerous times that Goff got on the edge and he wouldn't run with the football. He wouldn't take it and, you know, run eight or nine yards and slide. He wanted to throw it and, you know, Seattle just knew that, and they said just dared him to, and he wouldn't do it. So his his ability to run is a dimension that I think Seattle's going to have to take into account. Yeah, I know if if I'm had a choice between the two, I play I'd rather play Jared Goff because I think once you get Jared Goff under fire a little bit, he gets a little bit almost to those eye, eyes in the back of the head, and the, the clock in his head just seems to speed up a little bit more than it needs to. So I'd rather play Jared Goff than Wolford. I, I hate quarterbacks, the, the escape ability, like a chance where you think you've got them. Then next thing you know, your defense is stretched down the field when they go to this, the three wide receiver look. And then you've got a space of five, six yards to pick up a first down. Like I hate two-dimensional quarterbacks because they can just do 
so much damage, uh, especially around this uh, on the fly. But I, I'd be confident with this team, especially with this pass rush now. Like Jamal Adams is just such a unique safety in what he does. He, he basically always sits by the linebackers. And he's just so, it's so hard to predict whether he's going to come down and blitz or he's going to go back in coverage. I think we have enough to beat the Rams, whether or not we can go further on. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't have full trust in that defense yet. But um, looking at the last game on Saturday, we're going to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as some people like to call them, uh, traveling to face the Washington football team. I've, I've seen a couple of guys, Jeff, in America, in particular Nick Wright, I've been saying this is one of the worst matchups for the Buccaneers just because of that front seven for Washington is going to come after Tom Brady. And when we see Brady play as worse this year with the Buccaneers, it's when people have gone and got after him. So do Washington have a realistic chance just with that defense really being so brilliant over, over the season to go and cause the upset? Well, you know, the, again, like when you look at the two teams, if you evaluate the two teams and you start at quarterback, you'd say huge advantage. Tampa Bay. Look at receivers, huge advantage, Tampa Bay. Look at offensive line, huge advantage, Tampa Bay. Now go to the defensive side and it's a little bit of a different story. There are five first round draft choices in that defensive line for Washington, five of them. And that's almost unheard of. And so they can do some things and Jack Del Rio does some nice things when he gets all five of them on the field, you know, and he can roll guys through. The Everybody talks about Chase Young, and Chase Young will make plays in this game. Um, but the guys that are the ones that are going to have to be great in this game are those two big inside tackles. Because if you watch Brady, when he's not – when he gets kind of off his game is when he's got vertical pressure, when there's stuff in his face. Outside pressure, he'll slide up in the pocket. He's so good at moving around in the pocket and managing the pocket. But historically, what's always hurt him is vertical pressure, inside pressure. So if Allen and those big, you know, knuckle draggers that they got inside at tackle, if they can get push, then you know it, it's going to be a, it's going to be something because Ali Marpet's going to have to play his tail off at guard for Tampa Bay. And you don't, you don't think about, well, a guard's going to have to play a great game to win. Yeah, he's going to have to play a great game. The center's going to have to play a great game. They're going to have to be really solid up front. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if Washington can score enough points. You know, they, they're so reliant on not turning it over. And, you know, like you look at the game, the, the Eagles game, and, you know, the one turnover – our two turnovers that, you know, Smith had almost cost him the game. I mean, because they just don't have the ability to score fast. And that's where I think Tampa has a huge advantage. Yeah. I think what we're going to see from Jack Del Rio is very similar to a Bill Belichick pass rush. It's going to be four-man vertical. Trying, as you say, make sure if Brady's going to step up in the pocket, you've got Payne and Allen right in his face to try and deflect, causing problems. I think they can cause some problems, but in terms of scores, you're, I think they're going to need a, a pick six. They're going to need something from special teams. They're going to need something really special because they looked so anemic last night on offense against the Eagles. Like Alex Smith can't move. Like with that calf problem. Hear me? Can I hop in here? Oh yeah, go so ahead, Mitch. They've put back. they've put out the fire in the in the flat above me, honestly. And uh, my my webcam is still. I just. Uh, want to say a quick thing on Washington. They haven't scored more than 23 points in, I think, their last five weeks. And I think with the shuffling of quarterbacks, uh, I think Alex Smith is ranked 38th. I think he's a feel-good story and their defense is good. But when it comes to Tampa, I it's very possible. Like, Brady's looked – he's looked old a couple of times. But the way I see it, Tampa's a two-way team and Washington's a one-way team. They're just – not going to be able to put anything together and every time I try and give myself that upset feeling because I I just think that could be a really fun game if Washington make the most of it I just can't see him putting points on the board oh if you get an upset feeling just take out the seltzer <laughs> <laughs> oh I was going to take a, I was no going to take a bet on sky bet but I'll go with the Alka-Seltzer it, it, ain't, it ain't gonna be no it ain't gonna be no upset in this one I, and that's hard for me to say because I love Ron Rivera and I, I really really respect the job that he did there this year with all of the stuff that he dealt with personally and, you know, a dingbat quarterback and an organization that was just a cesspool, you know, it, 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 it uh, it's pretty impressive what he was able to do. 
And I, and what I, do you, you know what? It's interesting, guys. You know, because we're all fans of one team or another or somehow. And, and you know, you look at organizations and right now there's six head coaching jobs open in the National Football League and general managers jobs all over the place. And you watch teams that win, that can turn it around. And there, there's a reason for it. I mean, it's a really clear reason. And you watch teams that continuously suck. I mean, like how many years has it been since the Cowboys have been to the playoffs and done anything, right? And there's a team that spends all kinds of money, got all these high-profile players, yada, yada. It's not collecting football cards, guys. It ain't like that. You have to You have to have – well, Buffalo, to me, is the blueprint that every organization should use. The Redskins are the same way. Now, what's really going to be interesting to the Redskins, to me, Mitchell, is they're going to hire a GM. And they better bring a guy in that's right, absolutely lockstep with Ron Rivera. Because if there's any kind of division, then there's cracks in the wall. And as soon as there are cracks in the wall, you know, it starts to fall. What's your first move if you're there, Jeff? What do you think that... I, I really respect Ron Rivera. I think the, there were going to be fits and starts in Carolina, which was not, you know, there's a reason that they changed ownership during his tenure. It was mm-hmm. not the cleanest position for him. And mm-hmm. so I, I think he's someone we should like. I think Flores down in Miami, it's the same thing. I think if you have a good coach like that, if you can pair him up, you know, from top to bottom with some people who are in step with him, we'll see good things ahead for those teams. That's why we see teams that they might flutter down for a couple years, but they always come back to a competitive level because their organization is strong. So if the Redskins are going to do that, what's the first move you see from that GM? Well, I I think when they, when you get the GM, first of all, Ron's going to have some say in it because he has football decisions. So, you know, what, maybe it's Marty Herney who he had in Carolina because they know each other and had a good relationship. Then Herney got fired and they brought in Gettleman and Gettleman purged the team and then they brought Herney back. So I would not be surprised if it was Marty Herney went back there. If he does, I think it'll be a much more of a seamless transition. But what Ron's done in the, in the locker room already, you know, I don't know if you guys saw the comments that um, Terry McLaurin made after the game about what it's like to be in the, <clears throat> to be in the same locker room with Alex Smith and to, to go on the field with him, you can, by the words that he said, and now this is a receiver, okay? And receivers are, uh, well, let me just say this. They are predominantly high needs guys, right? Divas. <laughs> you, use your word, right? Yeah. But they're not the kind of guys that, you know, oftentimes will be vocal about things like what McLaren was talking about, about how, how proud he was to be, you know, in that locker room with all those guys. And he, all he, you know, how can you not bust your ass when you see Alex Smith after 17 knee up, whatever it was operations. So there's a thing in that locker room that they've started. Now it's like, it's like we're all out in the woods and we got to make a fire and we got one little spark, right? And we got it started, but we better take care of it because it can get blown out real fast too, right? And so that's where I think the Redskins have to go. They've got to continue to build with guys. And what a great quote by Ron Rivera today. I want guys who love to play professional football, not guys who love being professional football players. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is he wants guys that love football not the, not the trappings of what football brings you, the money, the fame, the women, the cars, the houses, the whole deal, right? And so they're on the right track. Yeah, it's, it's a very almost like um, New England kind of set up, like, you know, we come in, do your job, essentially, you know. And I thought it was a very smart hire when they brought him in in the summer. I thought of all the summer hires last year, I thought Ron Rivera was very unlucky to lose his job in Carolina. He did a great job there. I think this is just a smart hire. He will completely change the culture in the locker room. He'll get that whole thing sorted out and straightened out. But you're right. The, the, it is building blocks and it's going to take some time, you know, because Alex, yes, Alex Smith has been really, has been a super story. He's a great quarter, you know, locker guy, locker room guy. But how far can you go with him at quarterback? 
you know, you're, you're always, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I watch him get hit, I just went, you know, I, I just, I don't want to see that, you know, another injury to him. So, but they're on the right track. I mean, they've got something special there. Um, building and watching, I think it's just maybe one year too early to go too far in the playoffs. You know, Looking over, you bring up a good point, Jeremy. And think about this is, you know, everybody's going to start getting excited for the draft now, right? Because if your team's not playing, what do you look forward to, right? I like that. <laughs> Twitter was ablaze today with Dolphin fans talking about what they should do with the third pick and the 18th pick and all that stuff, which is, I love it, right? I love it because it's football and we're talking football all year long. But when you screw up your first round pick, particularly if it's a quarterback, you put your organization way, 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 way behind. So you look at the Redskin or Washington football team, excuse me, and there is a there is a core of really good players there, right? They've got those five first rounders. Their linebackers are outstanding, right? Then you go that young kid curl in the secondary is a really, really good player for a rookie. He, you know, he's an all rookie kind of player. He'll be a pro bowl player. And, you know, they've got some guys in the back end that they've gotten from other places that are playing better football than they probably, you know, Ronald Darby hasn't played as good as he's playing right now since he was a rookie in Buffalo. So, but still in this game, in the national football league in pro football today, if you don't have a guy that can take the game on his back, and make throws for you, it's going to be really, really hard to win a championship. And so that is, to me, another thing that they've got to look after in this offseason. Because, I, I, you know, again, Alex Smith is a great story, but he's not a guy – I agree with you 100%. He's not a guy that's going to lead him to the Super Bowl. Yeah. No, we, we saw that with the Chiefs and all those weapons. But, uh, say, so moving on to Sunday, the first AFC game, we've got – I think the team that has snuck in here, and they have nobody's really said this in the last month, we've got the Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. I think the Baltimore Ravens remind me so much of that Giants team that got in and played all their games on the road and got to the Super Bowl. This Ravens team has so much talent and so many different ways it can cause you danger. I think this is the sneaky team to watch to see if they um, if they beat the Titans and beat up on the Titans because I I think they're the team to watch in the playoffs. But do you Jeremy, watch college football? Who they've beat? Sorry, go yeah. ahead, Jeff. Jeremy. You watch college football? Yeah, dude. Yep. Okay, then you know that when you go up against one of the service academies, it is a coach's nightmare. I mean, an absolute nightmare <laughs> because. You see an offense that you never see, that you have no way to practice against. You can't mimic it, right? Well, that's what they've done in the National Football League. Because how do you get ready for that run game when you don't have pads on in practice, right? Yep. How, who are you going to get to be the scout team quarterback that's going to be Jackson? I mean, there's nobody, right? So, so I don't know who the backup quarterback with the Titans is, but I know he's not Lamar Jackson. And so all of that speed and all of the precision of all those blocking schemes and all that motion and all that stuff, you can't get ready for it in five days. No way. No way. So this is a team nobody wants to play. Yeah. And the Titans have like a, they have a pretty poor pass rush anyway. And like, when we saw uh, RG3 come in at Pittsburgh for Lamar Jackson, he's the closest thing to Lamar Jackson. And it yeah. just didn't look the same. Like when you threw in J.K. Dobbins, um, Ingram, when you, you and then you add in Lamar Jackson's rushing yards. And they've got playmakers on the outside as well. Hollywood Brown, they got some guys that can go. And yeah. don't, don't forget about Dez. Dez gives you a big physical receiver. Yeah, he and he's been playing well since he came into the active roster. So you know, everyone's going to sit in Baltimore and go stop the run game, stop the run game. And then it's, well, their defense is going to get after you and their kicker, um, Justin Tucker's automatic. So yeah. that, you know, if you, I think if the Titans turn the ball over once or twice, they're beat. Like this team's not going to give you the ball back and they're, they're not going to let you score, score on them. Like, I, but, you know, but, Mark, you know, Henry's going to come in and be the game plan, but. I, just, I think the one good thing about Tennessee is that they also have a run game. I know it's completely different. I don't think you can scout it, but I think this game, it's going to be some really, it's going to be football we might've seen 
10, 15 years ago. I hope so anyway, but the Ravens haven't beat anyone good. The playoff, the only playoff team they've beat in this really strong end of their season is the Browns and they give up 42 points. Their last three victories. We're talking about um, the Jaguars, the giants and the Bengals. So the run game means more in the playoffs, in my opinion, which is a strength of Tennessee. It's why Tennessee played well last year. It's why they beat the chiefs the year uh, previously. It's, it is important, but I think one, you're going up another team that's going to help shorten this game because both of these teams are going to keep it on the ground and shorten this game. And in the air, I would trust Tannehill over Jackson at the moment. So I just don't, I, I think that they're, they're sneaking in and they might be stronger and the run game matters a little bit more in the postseason. but overall, they just haven't put it together against a quality team. The thing that scares me about Baltimore, I mean, when I say scares me, I'm talking about if I was a Baltimore fan, I would be concerned about, there are times and you know, I consider Wink Martindale a friend, but there are times that that defense just uh, just doesn't play. I mean, like you mentioned, they, they've given up big numbers to some people. Now, Kansas City shredded them, but that's Kansas City. Yeah. But they've got to play well on defense. And, you know, Tennessee is Vrabel, – Vrabel's Tennessee team reminds me a lot of the Patriot teams. You know, they, they really, they're not, uh, you know, they're not a sexy team. I'm talking about the early Patriots teams before uh, Brady started airing it out as much, but they run the ball, they tackle well, they, you know, they, they can make a few plays. I don't think they can rush the passer. That's a concern. And, um, but I do think they're tough. They're physical and look at those, you know, look at the weapons that he's got outside. I mean, you take John O. Smith and Davis and, you know, those guys, those guys are grown men and then factor in, you know, a back who was 200 yards from gaining 2000 and gained like 254. I mean, it, it, that guy's unbelievable. I mean, he is unbelievable. He, he if he splits the tackles, you see defensive backs taking poor angles on purpose because they don't want anything <laughs> to do with it. Yeah, I think this game is basically both teams don't want to go down because I think then that's when the weaknesses show and when these teams have to divert away from the run game and start throwing the ball. I think whoever gets maybe a 10-point lead in this probably goes on to win it. Um, but then moving on to the middle game, we've got the Chicago Bears uh, going up to face the Drew Brees New Orleans Saints. Uh, the Bears sort of got a little dose of reality um, against the Packers. They've been scoring a lot of points over the last couple of weeks. Trubisky, all of a sudden, people were like, mm, maybe give him a franchise, maybe keep him for a year. Yeah, no, they they got to do they got a dose of reality. Uh, Joe, you would have watched um, would have watched this one a little bit with the Bears. Uh, do you see anything other than the Saints going ahead and getting the dub here? Well, I mean, something that I think was quite interesting is I um, they they went to overtime last time, I believe. Um, so they've already played and they've already been very physical. Um, the Bears, I mean, you know, Mitchell Trubisky is just like, even though he's doing so well as a starter, I mean, you know, he's been doing so much better than, than he did last year. And I still don't feel like Trubisky's the guy. Uh, the Bears seems, seem to be clutching onto him so that they can't admit they've made a mistake with him because then, you know, they don't want to be reminded about Patrick Mahomes. But... I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I feel about the Bears and Saints. I think it could be a, a sneaky game. I think the Saints are, I think they're definitely favourites. Obviously, they're favourites. But I, I think the, the last game was so close. And I think this will be an interesting game, definitely. Um, probably a bit closer than the other games, in my opinion. I, I agree with you, Joe. I think it's going to be closer than people think it's going to be. I think the Saints will win. But, uh, you know, when, when you look at the Bears, when Montgomery came back, all of a sudden that offense did start to do a few things. He's so critical to their success. And I, 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 you made a really interesting comment, Joe, and I, I, I think you, whether you thought through it or not, you hit on something that's really important is that, there's a lot of pressure in Chicago on Ryan Pace because this team is, he put them together, mm -hmm. right? And 
Chicago's ownership is not an ownership that's going to sit idly by and just squander money, right? So you bring in Foles, you pay him all that money, you you put him in, inject him as a starter when you've got a winning record. And I think he lost four straight, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and they were horrendous on offense. Mm -hmm. So then you bring Trubisky back, who was the who was Pace's guy, because Nagy and the coaches wanted Foles because they had experience with him, right? So there's a lot of intrigue, if you will, in Chicago. And then you look at the other side of the football, and they have gone away from the things that made that defense when Fangio was there. All the all the interesting stuff. That, now, again, I know they lost Leonard Floyd, but they've got guys. And, you know, you've got a, an incredible chess piece in Mac, and they really don't take advantage of it. Like when you watch other – other teams play if they've got a great player like you watch uh donald with the rams they're going to get him in pass rush situations they're going to get him on whoever is the weakest offensive lineman for the bears not so much it's kind of he's always outside and you know you fan the protection to him or chip him or whatever so i just i i think the saints will win this by 10 or 12 you know um a lot's going to have to do with some of these COVID guys too, because I think, I think Camara will be able to play if he tests negative, right? Cooper cup, same deal. Is he going to be able to play, you know, and you know, this COVID thing, <laughs> it's the, it's the wild, you know, it's a wild card. You just don't know. I mean, Christ almighty Montgomery was playing running back the other night and Taysom Hill because they lost their entire running back room, you know? So it, it, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I think you made a good point about the bears of with someone like Khalil Mack. I don't think they do the best job in getting their best players in the game. Sometimes like Mack isn't being utilized best. You know, Robinson yesterday, no catches at all. Like he's your number one receiver. You got to try and scheme these guys, get them into your game plan somehow. Like they are your X factor guys and the, the guys are going to make plays, but Moving on to the final game, and after 17 years, the Cleveland Browns are back in the playoffs. They got their divisional matchup against the Steelers, and I'm going to go to Mitchell on this one. Uh, Mitchell, to me, this is the most interesting one of them all um, because I'm so interested to see this Cleveland team against Pittsburgh now for the third time this year. I think this one might be the least predictable uh, because – Pittsburgh has obviously not been playing well. I think in general, they they weren't really tested. And now there's just question marks all over the place. Um, I think there's a little bit of an under, there's an underdog mentality to the Browns that I hope comes through. I think uh, it's odd that they've waited 17 years. You see these teams who have this history of going out in the first round of the playoffs and must be so frustrated. But um, in this one, I don't know if you really know what you're going to get. I would actually, frankly, put, money on Cleveland at this point the only advantage I would say to Pittsburgh is sometimes in a matchup that is really random I like to take the quarterback who knows what he's doing and so even though Ben Roethlisberger has not been special this year he is the man with all the experience in the world compared to Cleveland I'm not a big fan of um, Cleveland's coaching staff so um, yeah but I guess I've already told you I, I would I would actually take Cleveland in this one but I might live to regret that but I would only I'd put that on Ben Roethlisberger if I'm making a selection between those two teams. Yeah. I mean, just going to you, Jeff. I mean, I think we see the best of Baker Mayfield when he is the underdog and when he's got that real chip on his shoulder, that bulletin board material, I think that's when the best of Baker comes out, but this is the playoffs. It's, it, you know, the key gets ratcheted up a little bit more. You know, are we going to see the best of Baker or is he going to slide out? Well, I don't know if you guys caught it, but I, I broke his game down on the Telestrator before, you know, before our show the other night. And what I saw from the Pittsburgh game previous to this last month is tremendous growth, right? To me, the whole thing for Baker comes down to this. Stay out of third and long. You've got to stay ahead of the chains because when he has to, he's like a lot of those guys that are learning to go from a college system at Oklahoma where it was a one read system, right? Into full field reads and, you know, 
I can't describe to you guys how much more complex the coverages that he sees in the NFL are compared to what he saw in the Big 12. In the Big 12, he saw cover three, cover four, cover two, and cover one, and that's it, right? Now he's got all kinds of zone exchanges. I mean, he got fooled so badly the first time these teams played, and it was, you know, he threw the threw the pick to Minka over the middle that Minka took back for a touchdown, and he was struggling, struggling. Now, if they can get Chubb going, right, and, you know, their screen game is going to be a big part of this, too, because the Pittsburgh's what? They're a big pressure team. They blitz probably as much as four or five other teams in the league maybe blitz more than they do. They're really blitz heavy, right? That's their identity. So how do you stop those kind of teams? Well, you screen them, screen them to death. And, you know, they've, they've got a back that's dynamic out of the backfield too. So I think it's really, really going to be interesting to see how much Stefanski plays 11 personnel because if he plays all those tight ends which he loves to do the Steelers are going to put Alu Alu in there to it in there and Hayward in there and they're going to have a hard time running the ball right yeah if they go to 11 they'll take Alu Alu out and put a nickel in the game and now they can I think they'll run the ball better but you know we'll see we'll see yeah I, I just think I don't like Pittsburgh as a like it's not that I don't like Pittsburgh. I don't, God, Christ, I have all kinds of Steelers fans on my ass. But what I'm saying is I don't like, they're kind of an ugly team. You know what I mean? They yeah. win ugly. Nothing, it's like their offense, everything is hard work. I mean, it's like it's all hard work. And, yeah. you know, Villanueva is, it's interesting because you saw in the game the other night, when people get up underneath his pads, when they get, you know, he's six, nine, the kid, this is an amazing story. That kid went to army and was a wide receiver in college. Right. And then he went into service and came back out and grew. And now he's a left tackle. He's got great feet and he's an athlete, but boy, I tell you what, if you get up in his pads, you can, you can pitch. I mean, you can, you can forklift him right to the quarterback. So they've got to protect Ben because Ben ain't moving, right? I mean, he's, the statue outside the stadium of Mr. Rooney might move better than Ben. So it's it's yeah. that's going to be the challenge, you know? Yeah. It's going to be a physical game, too. I think it's going to be a great, great atmosphere. Yeah. I just look at Pittsburgh and the absence of a run game and almost trying to get those, like, quick slant routes to sort of substitute the run game. I just sit and look at that and go, if you can't run the ball in the playoffs and you can't keep defenses honest, you really are just asking for him. You know, especially as you have a big Ben, he's not moving anywhere. And when you've got Miles Garrett coming at you from one side, Ogan Joe be coming from the other, they are going to cause big Ben problems. Whether or not it's because it's the third time they've met each other, so they kind of know what each each, each other are going to do. I'd be almost inclined to be like Mitchell, just trust big Ben because he's been there before. Yeah. Cleveland's I think, too, you know, like, I don't know if you guys caught this the other day in the game. I was sitting there watching the game on the couch with Sean, right? And I, sometimes I wish that they would just let the camera roll and while we're just <laughs> sitting there watching the game, right? And I said to Sean, I said, you know, Pittsburgh's got the Brown 39 check in. And Sean looked at me like, what? I said, yeah, the Brown 39 check. Because I don't know who the DB was, number 39, the little corner that they put in there. Man, they went after him every down they tried to get claypool claypool on him and just throw jump balls and if that kid's going to play he better show up because pittsburgh has already zeroed in on him yeah i i'm, I'm like mitchell as well i it's this is going to be the toughest one they call because i think cleveland's got the most talent between the two teams i think when you've stacked them all up but pittsburgh's been there before mike tomlin's been there before he's a very good head coach you know it's i think it's going to come down to baker mayfield I think if he keeps his head, he you know, that run game keeps him in short distance yardage, medium at best, keeps the chains moving, keeps converting on third down. I think they'll be I think they could go in there and cause the upset, but I just think that Steeler defense is gonna get to him once or twice and he's gonna throw a couple yeah, of loose passes. 
I agree, Jeremy. He can't turn the ball over because if he turns yeah. the ball over, they'll, they'll lose the game. Oh, yeah. And sometimes I think watching Baker, he thinks he's a little bit more athletic than he is. When he tries to get it, when he tries to roll outside the pocket, it's always to his right. And I just think better head coaches and defenses are going to click onto that and try and get him just to try and make those mistakes, get that clock going off his head a little bit quicker. And that you defense. Know, you know who lines up to his right, don't you? Yeah. TJ. And yeah, and he's going to come half sacks worth of TJ. <laughs> yeah, he's going to come after him. Uh, hey guys, I got five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Right. we'll do uh, one last topic. Then we'll go on to uh, Doug Peterson last night. Uh, Yanking oh. Jalen Hurts <laughs> in the fourth quarter. I couldn't understand it. I looked at it and went, I feel like I'm watching the NBA, just watching teams tank. But I couldn't make sense of it. Did you make any sense of it at all? Let me tell you this. Doug Peterson was my quarterback in 1995. And when he was a high school coach in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, I used to recruit his high school. So I know Doug real well. And I could not, for the life of me, understand what was going on last night. And to be real honest with you guys, the whole thing this year has, has been um, perplexing to me, you know? Um, you know, there is something in Philadelphia that needs to get fixed. There's a there's some sort of disconnect somewhere, you know, because you go out. Tell, convince me how this is smart. You go out and guarantee, I think, one hundred and eighty million dollars or some crazy thing like that. To your quarterback, then. In the second round of the draft, you've got an aging football team that has no real weapons outside. You played the, you just played the season before with a bunch of practice roster guys, and you draft a quarterback in the second round. Now, I, I don't get that, right? So now, what are you going to do with both those guys? So then, Wentz doesn't play well, and you make the change and go to Hertz and Hertz gives you a little juice, but in, in a game at the end of the season where there is no, re I agree with what Chris Collinsworth said. There's no reason to put whatever that other guy's name is in there. Nate, Nate well. Sudfield. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason. No, Nate Sudfield is not going to show you anything in a quarter of football that he, Nate Sudfield will be a third quarterback the rest of his career in the national football. That's not, that's not disrespectful to Nate Sudfield, but that's who he is. If Hertz is going to be your guy, then he has to play through that situation. Remember guys, when he turned down the field goal, right? Went for it on fourth and four. I was like, I was like dumbfounded, right? There's a whole quarter. I think a quarter and a third left to play. Why would you go for it in that situation? Well, and Chris Long has implied that this might be going over Peterson's head because when is the last that's time we were so excited about a coach? That's, yeah. that's what I'm thinking, Mitch. The, the world loves Doug Peterson. The way that everyone has turned on him this season, something is really messed up there because you can't get rid of Wentz's contract at this point. He wants to go. Who can afford that when he looked terrible? He looked great when they paid him. And you have to pay quarterbacks these days, but they're going to be a little bit lost now. And it's a pity. I, I hope, I think Doug might do with a change of scenery. I think that's what Ron Rivera needed. And if he really gets another chance, I think that'd be a mistake. I think Philadelphia has got issues above him. Well, I'm going to say this, Doug Peterson's a good person, right? I know that for a fact. And he's a guy that is, is a character guy. I mean, he's not going to, you know, this, this whole thing just is so it stinks, right? You got a, a quarterback making $180 million that basically says he doesn't want to play in the last game. So what's that? You quit on your teammates, right? Now, then today, he refuses to speak to the media. Grow up. Grow up. You're making $180 million. It's your responsibility to speak to the media, right? So there's stuff that needs to get fixed in Philadelphia. And maybe Mitchell, maybe, you know, and I hate to say this because I like Doug and he's my guy, but maybe he would be better in, with a change of scenery. Yeah. 
I just get the feeling, and you're right, Jeff, I get the feeling there is something going on in Philadelphia that we just haven't been told about. Like, how Harry Roseman gives the contract to Carson Wentz, that massive contract, then one year later, passes on Justin Jefferson, doesn't make a move on C.D. Lamb, and just instead goes, yeah, we'll take Jalen Hurts in the second round. There's something going on there that I don't think we know the full picture about yet. Well, they couldn't have known Wentz was going to play this bad and do all that. That it's just so it's perplexing. I know, and and there's a lot of factors, right? Because here's the thing, guys. You know, continuity is so important in pro football. It really, really is. Now we're getting away from that. Now it's kind of like guys come in for a year, you fire them, you move another. Guy. I mean, that's kind of the deal. But right now, I go back to when I sat with uh, Coach Grow, who was the receiver coach with the Eagles the year they won the Super Bowl. Then the next year, there was another receiver coach in there, Carson Walsh. And then this year, there was another receiver coach in there. And now I hear there's going to be shakeups on the staff again. Think about the players, mm. right? Because you can say, if the four of us were sitting in a room and somebody said, okay, say or describe blue, right? And it might be light blue. It might, mine might be light blue and Joe's might be navy blue and yours, you know, it's all blue, but it's different shades, right? And so communication and messaging is so important. And when you keep shuffling guys through, how do the play, I mean, think about the player who's receiving the messaging, right? That's not a recipe for success. I think Carson Wentz just hasn't been the same since Frank Reich left. And I think Indianapolis is one of the very few spots he could end up, especially with Philip Rivers potentially retiring. But uh, that's what we got time for, guys. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on, giving us your insight. Uh, we really appreciate it here. At the guys, end. it's my pleasure, man. Let's let's keep this up. Hey, you know what? You guys get a chance. Um, we do a little show every Tuesday night at 8 called Coffee with Coach. And it's just that we get on uh, Periscope and Twitter and just – talk ball for like an hour so if you guys want to come come on in and Definitely. hit me with this when are you guys going to put this out uh i'll try and get it edited by next week and when, well, by, I, when you get it up send me your jpeg and i'll and i'll pump it for you yeah it should be up probably Perfect. no later than thursday i would say just in time for the playoffs come on oh yes it's month oh i keep losing track of the day it is. <laughs> uh, yeah I'll, this week. Right. I'll talk to you yeah. All right. Yeah. Cheers, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks. Thank you.